Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Matthew Barton. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Good. Good, good, good. It is a good morning. Sun's out. Gun's out. Well, yours is usually always out. Well, it's- Win- uh, Winter, summer, spring, autumn. I don't think there's an inappropriate time to wear a singlet, <laughs> just quietly. Uh, so today, our topic is- Edema, edema, odema, o, odema. Yeah. How do you spell it? It's with an O. O e d e m a. That's Australia and uh, UK. Yep. So that's the British Queen's spelling. English. Queen's English. And how would the or US? Kings do it? now. Oh, good point. Good point. Very good. Very topical. Great job. Uh, and if you're in the US, edema, e d e m a. Yeah, they just dropped the O. They they just sort of do that with. Uh, Couple other words, aren't they? Esophagus. Yes, we do that with an O. They do that with an E. That's all I've got. Yeah, that's all I've got too. All right, so we're talking about edema. First, let's define. Let's just jump straight into it. Let's define what edema is. So you're not going to uh, like talk on what we're going to speak about today. You just want to get straight into it. I think let's just jump straight into it. All right. So I guess m- most people, when they hear the term edema, they think swelling. Would you say that's fairly accurate? I think swelling, yeah. Um, But I guess a little bit more accurate with definitions here. Uh, Edema refers to the presence of excessive fluid in body tissue. All right. So what do you mean by body tissue? Um, Well, tissue. uh, Well, there's four tissue types, right? Yeah. Do you remember them? (laughs) Muscle, uh, nervous, epithelial connective. Great. 
So when you say it's accumulation of fluid in tissues, it could be any of these tissues? Well, that's a good point because I guess a lot of that is referring to the cells, like the parenchyma, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like, like muscle, you're referring to the, the, the cell that does the contraction. The nervous tissue, generally we're referring to either the glia or the neurons. Mm. The connective tissue is what it puts together. But there's still... I guess that's more extracellular in many cases. It gets tricky, doesn't it? It It gets tricky because there are, you know, when we say tissue in biology, that's what we refer to predominantly as the parenchyma, meaning the functional tissue, right? Yeah. So the actual cells that make it up. But when we look at edema, there's the the fluid buildup can happen in a multitude of places. So it can happen in those parenchymal cells or outside of those parenchymal cells. So I like to think that the fluid is building up in and around the tissues. Yeah, I think by and large, when we refer to edema, it's outside the cells. Yeah. So we'd be calling this extracellular or more accurately, interstitial edema. So should we talk about those compartments? Yeah, I think, we can, I think that's important. Yeah. All right. So everyone should remember that when we look at the fluid of our body, which is predominantly water, around what about the fluid water- is water, a fluid is the majority. Or water is the majority of the fluid? Both. <laughs> so wa- That's true. So fluid makes up the majority of us, around about 50 to 60% of us, depending on your fat content. Uh, and water makes up most of that fluid. Yeah. We basically just say water, right? So yes. the fluid of our body is water. Yeah. And it sits within our body, not the way it sits in a bucket where it just falls to the bottom. It's actually compartmentalized. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, you may scull a liter of water, for example, and you hear it slosh around in What's your, skull in your tummy. To scull like it. Rowing? Sorry. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, Matt doesn't use colloquial terms. To take a cup and drink it. Ingest it. With such speed and force. That's how I do all my ingestions. That's true. If you ever watch Matt <laughs> eat, it's uh, very much like a duck where he doesn't really chew. He more so just- It's a waste of time. He just throws his head back. It's a waste. It's a waste. I know. It well, uses energy. Why have a gastrointestinal tract, right? If, if you're going <laughs> to use your teeth. <laughs> I don't use my teeth. I, I just- I see what you eat too. It's mainly mush to begin with. You don't really need to chew it. It's like hummus and dip. <laughs> that's, all, that's all Matt really eats, hummus and Turkish bread. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. I can't even remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah. So talking about the fluid of the body, it's compartmentalized. It sits within compartments. You can break these compartments up. Thirds, in thirds. Have you heard of this? In okay, go on. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so- well, you, Feel free to interrupt and then just continue on. So you're I'm welcome. so sorry for talking while you were interrupting. <laughs> okay, so what percentage are we water? 60. Uh, around about 50 to 60%. Okay, so total body water of a whole mass is 60%. Right. So two thirds of us is water. Yeah. Okay. Now, two thirds of that- of that amount is intracellular water. So two thirds of, okay. So I'm 70 kilograms, Yeah. right? So I'm a very- um, So you're bringing out your calculator. Taut, muscular, 70 kilograms. Still don't know why you bring calculators to a podcast, but All anyway. right, So because I'm uh, not the smartest. So <laughs> 60% of me is water. So yeah. 60% of my 70 kilograms is water. That's 42 liters. Yeah. All right. So of this 42 liters- What, 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 wait. So of your whole body- Two-thirds of you is water. Correct. Happy with that? So okay. that's the first. So 42 litres. Okay, yeah. Yep. Then of that water, yeah. two-thirds of that is water in your cells, All which right. we call intracellular water or intracellular fluid. 
Yeah. So that's what, 25 odd litres ish? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or maybe a bit more. But they're, they're about 28 litres. Okay. Yep. And then one third is fluid that's outside of your cells, which is what we call extracellular fluid. Okay. Yep. Which is So most of the water in the body is actually in cells. Yeah, that's right. Not outside the Mm. cells, which you'd think isn't the case. I mean, just for me at least when I first learned that, I thought, oh, most of the water is in the cells. But it makes sense when you've got 30 trillion cells in your body. Yeah. How many? 30 trillion with a T. So that then brings the point forward when we spoke about excessive fluid in body tissue and then I went through the four tissue types. Yeah. And- one the ones I listed were parenchymal cells. Yeah. So when we talk about edema, there's most of the cases it's not referring to fluid building up in the cell. Do you reckon that's because most of the fluid's already in the cells? Well, it can happen, but I don't think there's a great deal. Of, I could be wrong here, so fact fact check me on this. But I don't think there's a huge capacity for our cells to just keep on taking on water. Agreed. And if they do, they'll just blow up. Agreed. And if you think about it, most of the changes that can occur to influence water movement is happening outside the cell. Yeah. All right, so, so, so with that said, so we can now refine the definition a little bit to okay. So it refers to edema is referring to the presence of excessive fluid in body tissue. Good. Now. This could be both extracellular or intracellular, okay? But by and large, well, by far the most common edema that we'll encounter and that we're going to talk about in this podcast is extracellular. All right. Now, extracellular is just everything outside the cells. Yes. So there's before, a couple of- Can I just knock, can we just knock out of the way yeah. intracellular edema just so it's done and we've moved on? Oh, let's on? do it. Let's just throw it to the wayside. Go. So intracellular edema basically means water taken on fluid, Okay. Makes sense. And there's really only a couple of reasons for why a cell would want to take on or takes on more fluid, okay? Firstly, there's something wrong with the osmolarity within the cell. So the cell becomes more concentrated with solutes relative to the extracellular fluid. So can I jump in and sort of just define a couple of points there? Yes. So osmolarity or... Osmoles is the way I like to define it, is the pulling force that an area has on water. And that area has its pulling force because it has a number of charged particles present that can exert a pulling force on water. So a couple of points that everyone needs to remember is that water has a charge. The hydrogen of water has a slight positive charge. The negative of the hydrogen of the water has a slight positive charge. Water's H2O. Yes, and the oxygen has a slight negative charge, which means the hydrogen attracts negative ions like chloride and the oxygen attracts positive ions like sodium and potassium. potassium. And therefore, wherever these ions go, the water is going to follow. Generally speaking, inside and outside of a cell, you've got an even amount of ions or at least the the, ions. the ability for them to exert a pulling force is even inside and outside of a cell, which yep. means the net movement of water inside and out of a cell is zero. So they, it's kind of like a steady state that's been established. Exactly. And there's, then there's no net movement of water. That's right. But what you stated is that what can bring fluid or water into a cell is if you change the osmolarity. So yeah. the concentration of those ions that can exert a pulling force. So, so my thought would be- t- 
you need to increase the osmolarity inside of yes. a cell in order for intracellular edema to occur. So remember, Correct. we're talking intracellular edema yeah. here just so we can throw it away because it's not the most common cause. Yeah. So the only other thing I'll add to that, but that was really good to, Thanks, to bring all those things in. No, thank you. I've just captured that as a soundbite <laughs> and I'm probably going to use it every week. Okay. Um, that we are we have this separation by the cell membrane. So the cell membrane is an important uh, structure here because it will dictate it's semi-permeable, mm. which means some things can go through it and some things can't. Let's just say in this case, the solutes can't really move, but water can. Right. But like you mentioned, um, between the two compartments, that, that being the intracellular compartment and the extracellular, it's established that balance. So now there's no net movement of water. Yeah. Now, moving into the cases of why you might- and If you want to know more about this, go back to our fluids episode, but we've also got an electrolytes episode. I would Probably say also done a cell membrane one. And a tonicity episode. God, we're really good. We cover so many topics for people just, you know, for free. We sort of just do this out of our own time. It's really kind and generous of us to- uh, <laughs> All right, to, back uh, to yeah, intracellular sorry, edema. Yeah, yeah, no, go on. So um, in intracellular edema, as, we, as I said, there's, for some reason, we may start to develop- this is in a pathology, hyperosmolarity state. So the cell becomes more concentrated with solutes yep. compared to the extracellular. And when we say solutes here, we're talking about solutes that can exert a pulling force on water. Yep. So particularly charged. So, so what might this happen, Michael? What might cause this? Well, you did a video. Oh, I don't get a chance to answer. No, not oh. yet. But I'm going to give you some hints. You did a video... I don't know, a few months ago, I knew titled it the most important enzyme in the body. Yes. So yes, yes. can you just in one minute tell us what that is? That is the sodium potassium ATPase pump. Okay. There you go, did it in three seconds. <laughs> so what's what, why do you have this pump? Every cell of the body has yep. the sodium potassium ATPase pump. I like to say it, it rolls off the tongue nicely. And its job is to throw three sodium outside of the cell and exchange it for two potassium, which it throws inside of the cell, okay. establishing a charge difference yep. where there's three positive things outside and only two positive things inside. Yep. Okay. So it, it establishes and, and a concentration difference of sodium and potassium, but also establishes a charge difference. Yes. So with that said, some well, one very important aspect of this pump is something is required to drive it. Oh, yes, yes. And what is that? Well, it's called the sodium potassium ATPase. So it's an enzyme that requires ATP. So basically any case where a person may start to run out of ATP will have an impact on this pump. Oh, can I guess what happens? Well. Let me guess. Okay. (laughs) The pump doesn't work. (laughs) Excellent. And then the sodium remains inside. It can't be swapped for potassium. And because you're throwing more charged things outside than inside, if those charged things remain inside, yep. it's going to, the concentration of sodium is going to accumulate inside the cell, yep. which will pull water in towards yeah, so, it. So now the cell becomes hyperosmotic, yep. which then water try, wants to try to balance this out because it's the only thing that can move now. So this is osmosis. And so water then will start to rush into the cell and as a result, it starts swelling and this is essentially intracellular edema. Can I ask another question? And then it will explode. Oh, wow. We've, like, we've done this experiment. Like a supernova. We've done, we've not quite. We've, we've done d- this experiment? We've done this experiment. 
on we, did, we did this in first years, well, kind of with students. Well, student cells, we get their red blood cells that they oh, take yes. from their ends of their fingers with a ends of their what fingers. Oh, you know they do they use yeah, a lancet finger prick test, and then they put it on a microscope slide, yep. and then they put different types of water on it, and then with different concentrations, and look at the salt. red blood cells and. When the cells, anyway, anyway they, got, they can explode up, explode. I've got a question. So you said that you can get this type of intracellular edema happening when there's no ATP and the pumps aren't working. Yeah. Uh, why would people be running out of ATP? Well, you just look at the ingredients that you need to make ATP. Um, one very important one is oxygen. So if you have patients um, who have problems getting oxygen to their cells, either by there's a problem with your respiratory system and you just can't get it into your body or parts of your body are running out of oxygen, like let's say um, a heart attack, an MI, an ischemic event, their tissue, heart tissue, isn't getting oxygen, so therefore their pumps aren't working, therefore they can't regulate. There's a number of things going to be yeah. happening at the and same time. And I heard time. that it can also happen if people, for example, like um, if they're if if tissues are dying, for example, necrotizing or dying. Let's just say um, frostbite. Yeah. Somebody gets frostbite, the tissues are dying off. Uh, one of the end stage things that can occur is edema in these tissues because the ATP pumps aren't working. Yep. So and, and that's part of the problem with necrosis opposed to apoptosis. Apoptosis mm. is controlled cell death. But ne- necrosis is like this. Their cells are going to explode. Do you know what apoptosis means in Greek? Um, brown leaves on trees. So that's, that's a nice rhyme. <laughs> the brown leaves on trees. Yeah. It's lovely. Sort of rhymes. Uh, leaves, trees yep. isn't a true rhyme. Close but anyway, enough. it means the leaves falling off a tree in autumn. Yep. So lovely. You're sort of right. I mean, you sort of made it up, but yep. Okay. Yep. So that's one example of intracellular. Yep. Another example you kind of alluded to was yeah. just if you have any kind of membrane damage, so trauma or something that occurs, damage in a lot of cells, membranes, they don't, they lose that permeability, so fluid will start leaking through them. Cool. Okay. And the only other example, which is kind of the same as the first but in reverse, is if the extracellular fluid just becomes hypotonic. Hypo. Hypo, so, so it loses low, ions. Yep, low relative to the inside of the cell, fluid will move into the cell. So the term tonic or tonicity is the concentration difference from one side of a membrane to another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so now we can throw away So that's intracellular gone now. All right, forget we'll- about it, everyone, because it's not the most common type. When you, if you are a healthcare professional or you are an aspiring healthcare professional or even just an interested person, uh, you're going to see edema at some point. Either you'll have it or somebody you know will have it. And the most common types are not the intracellular. The most common types are the extracellular, predominantly that of interstitial edema. So so how do you want to go about this? Well, can you quickly, uh, you may have already done this and I just zoned out. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, When we talk about the extracellular fluid, which you said was approximately 14 litres in the body. Yeah. That can be further divided. Again, this is thirds into two further spaces. It can. Can you just give those two spaces? Yep. So like Matt said, the whole body is divided into extracellular and intracellular. 
Intracellular is easy. We just spoke about it in the cell. Extracellular is everything outside the cell, but predominantly the functional compartments, meaning the areas where we can significantly change the fluid is going to be the interstitial area. So this is, this is the space between the cells, not in the cells, but between the cells and outside the cells. And then the other is the blood plasma. So the fluid inside the blood. So itself. that's intravascular. That's intravascular. Okay. So let's just speak really quickly. If we were to get edema intravascularly, so yes. this is still extracellular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's in the intravascular space. Right. If you got edema in that space, yeah. you wouldn't call it edema. You wouldn't call it, even though by definition it is uh, extracellular edema, you wouldn't call it edema, would you? No. What you'd, would you call it? You'd probably call it hypervolemia. Hypervolemia, yeah. which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because- uh, It just think- means hyper-increased volume volume, and emia blood. And I think it's because um, that can change rapidly. So it, I can't think of any scenarios per se. I mean, if somebody were to increase the volume of their blood volume, right, increase the volume of their blood, I should say, and, and have hypervolemia, the most pronounced symptom is not going to be the most pronounced symptom of interstitial edema. No. Uh, the most pronounced syst- uh, symptom would be blood hypertension. Pr- blood, pr- blood pressure. Increase in bl- yeah. blood pressure. And the body has evolved certain mechanisms to manage this. Yeah. But if the fluid accumulates not intravascularly but in the interstitium, there's only one or two mechanisms really that help remove that. And if they're not functioning properly by definition and the fluid accumulates – that is interstitial edema. That's yeah. the most common type. Yeah. So, so how can, do you want to move about this? So we can basically further exclude the intravascular for edema now. And we're Agreed. really just, for the rest of this now, we're just focusing on edema within the interstitium. Yes. Is that fair? Love it. So that's basically now just meaning why would a person get excessive fluid in their interstitial space. So 20 minutes into the episode, now this is when you need to start <laughs> listening. We should have done intracellular at the end. Right? No, no, it's out of the way now because by the time we get to, you know, an hour, I want to leave. Me too. To be honest, <laughs> I want to leave now. Just do because you, of you, not because of the listener. I love the dear listener. Do you Do you want me to just throw, to do throw a few to more terms out just it's, to clarify terms? Yep. Okay, all right. So now we're solely working in the space of interstitial edema we've we've done that well enough right well i mean we haven't spoken about what causes it or anything no, but, like but that but we've set the scene enough to say we're now going to be talking about it <laughs> yeah. so we've simply stated <laughs> we're going to do interstitial edema that's correct yeah okay so i want to throw some common terms that go with edema and just clarify what these mean before we get into the physiology of why a person develops right. edema. Happy with that? Let's do it, big okay. fella. The first, well, I'm not going to say the first, but one term that you would likely hear in reference to edema is pitting versus non-pitting. Oh, okay. You've yeah. heard of this, right? Yeah, Tell Brad me. Pitting, yeah. <laughs> Good actor. <laughs> Seven, great movie. Yeah, that's, that's some time ago. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it, it was not bit, as long ago as half of the music you listen to. It's a to. bit disturbing though. Was it yeah. the one where like the head in the box? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great film. Kevin Spacey, I think he's a bad guy. I can't remember. And I'm talking, yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about Kevin Spacey. Okay. So pitting versus non-pitting. Can you just um, describe what it means to pit? <laughs> um, well, I think dear listener could understand that when you dig a pit, you're digging a hole. 
and that's what it's referring to. No, so if you is, were to press into – let's just say, uh, uh, you know, I, I come over to, to Matt's place. He's wearing those unflattering, you know, jean shorts that is for some reason cut out of his normal length Levi's. and uh, I've got a hole in the knee section. So I, I thought to- it was because you were a never nude. <laughs> um, and so – I have a look and I see Matt's got a significant case of edema in his legs. And if I walked up to it and pressed it, if my finger left an indent yep. in his leg, that's pitting edema. So it means that the fluid doesn't sort of refill that space that I've made. But non-pitting edema would be- you It just push, bounces back. Push your finger in and it bounces back. Yeah. So, okay. Are we going to talk about why now or are we just going to define them? Um, what do you want to do? I don't, I don't know. I don't I'm know. Not, how you I'm just went. afraid. I'm just afraid. Once we get into the nitty gritty of the physiology, we'll forget about it. Okay. Um, so, do they need to know a lot about capillary exchange, which we're going to talk about? Not, not really. So, the basic difference between the pitting and non-pitting. You've explained how it would look clinically. So, if you were to stick your finger in, pitting would stay um, like a hole, and another in, one would bounce into, back into your edematous leg. Yep, yep. Yes. So, the basic difference why you would see pitting is the fluid is mostly water or right. it hasn't really got much else in it. Okay? That's if it's pitting. That's if it's pitting. Right. But if it's non-pitting, it's kind of got other things with the water like proteins, oh. which makes the interstitium more pressurized or it's harder to displace the water away. So can, can I, is that because if it's just water, you can displace that water and it's going to take a bit of time for it to refill the yes. pitted area. Yep. But if there's proteins in there, proteins are, are negatively charged, which we're going to find out shortly yep. with capillary exchange. So they exert a relatively strong pulling force on water. Yep. So if, if the water's filled with that protein, yep. then, and it, uh, uh, if you were to displace it, the protein is going to fill that area and pull the water back. With yeah, it, kind of hold on to it and yeah. not let it leave. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good. So that's the non-pitting. That's non-pitting. Okay, so and pit, pitting, mostly water, non-pitting, filled with proteins, another ionic Yeah, substances. that's good. That's good. And a couple of examples why you might get the, the non-pitting. So, you know, why might you have proteins and stuff in the fluid that won't lead the, let the water leave? Uh, Inflammation is a good example of that. Oh, yeah. You know, like if you roll your ankle and actually cause damage to the area acutely and you get inflammation, which we know associated with that is swelling, it doesn't pit. It just stays bulbous. Bulbous. (laughs) Bulbous. Yeah, so inflammation. And part of the reason for that is um, other things come out of the capillary, not just plasma. Right. Like plasma proteins, right? Yeah. So that would exert a force on it. Another one would be any kind of lymphatic drainage problem because the lymphs not only pull the fluid or reclaim the fluid, but they also reclaim plasma proteins. So if you have plasma proteins remaining in the tissue, water's going to stay with it and it's not going to pit. But when we get to lymphatic cause of edema, which we're going to get to later, we can come back to that. All right. Is that all right? Yep. Other terms. Another term would be generalized versus localized. So this right. would be, I think localized is pretty straightforward. It just means the edema is just in one area of the body opposed to generalized, which is more likely to happen throughout the body potentially. Does that make sense? So like it it's a generalized sense. or a systematic thing. It's just about location. Yeah. Yep. Generalized is everywhere. Localized yep. is localized. Yeah. Yep. The other one, which kind of goes a little bit with the generalized, I guess, is um, referring to gravity. Okay, so this would be dependent edema. So what this kind of means is as if a person's got a like a, 
let's say a generalized form of edema and they reposition themselves. Um, All right, let's say I've got edema. It's uh, predominantly, uh, you know, let's say the fluid for whatever reason, which we'll define later, is accumulating in my interstitium yep. of, of my peripheries, let's say, yep. my arms and my legs. Yep. What then happens if I so, were to So if you up, were to subject yourself, subject your body to gravity- Yes, and simply so, by living. Yes. <laughs> well, standing up. Okay. Okay, because your lower limbs have probably more gravi- gravitational force on it than your upper limbs. Closer to the center of the earth. Therefore, um, they're more subject to a dependent force. Yep. So therefore, the fluid will start to accumulate. Down to the lower limbs. That's right. And that's called dependent. Dependent. And it, But you might see that in your patient if they're just in bed. Um, it may gravitate to their sacrum, let's say, because that's wow. the most dependent on gravity. Does that make sense? Which sort of does make the person become a bucket, like we were talking about before, you know, which the water just falls to the bottom. Well, with that, and I promise this is the last point and we'll get into the physiology. Okay, 30 minutes. <laughs> when, when there is fluid in your interstitium, it's not like it's just sloshing around. No. Okay. It's actually held in your tissue with, I don't know how you describe it, like a carpet. Like a pro- Proteins. Like a carpet? Yeah. Like what's the thick pile ca- carpet Shag. called? Shag. There we go. That'll yeah. work. Shag carpet. So a real, <laughs> a real heavy- Yeah, if you've ever spilt water on a shag carpet- <laughs> It just absorbs it, right? Yeah, it does. So yeah. um, that's kind of how edema will work. So it holds it in the shag pile to a degree until the water has overcome its ability to hold onto it and then it kind of starts to build channels. Yeah. And then that becomes more dependent on the gravitational movement. Yeah. It, the way, so, okay. So I think, let's just say you had a container that had a sponge in it and, and you were to pour water into that container. The sponge is going to absorb that water, yeah. which means there's no water sloshing around. It's stuck into the sponge. But if the more and more water you start to pour into that container, the sponge has no longer the ability to hold onto any more water. So water then starts to fall out of the sponge and yeah. then can slosh around and move. And that's what Matt's referring yeah. to by now we've got dependent edema where the interstitium's ability to hold onto the water has been become overcome by so much fluid being present that your position now changes the location of the fluid movement. Yeah, and, it's, and it, that's right. And, it, and it will, it's likely to move based on- The reason why I moved away from a shag carpet is I don't know if any of our listeners are old enough to remember a shag carpet. Isn't it still around? Well, in your house, I've seen your house. Mine's all hard floors. It's like, no, green shag carpet, red walls. It's very strange, very 70s. That's just my office. We always got the doors playing. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's just when I come in. That's and just when you come on, baby, light my fire. Okay. All right, can we talk we, about the physiology a, that's a, now? That's a great segue into physiology. All right. Is it? Light my fire? Yeah. Okay. Uh, with the Because physio- the fire, we're referring to the blood vessel. Oh, jeez. Ignore <laughs> him. He's an idiot. All right. Can I start with the physiology? Yeah, yeah you take over because this is your bucket. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So- This is how I like to think about it. What you need to understand, okay, this is what you need to picture in your head. Picture the left-hand side of the heart. That left-hand side of the heart, when it contracts, it pushes blood out into the arteries and those arteries will continually branch until they turn into arterioles and they will branch until they turn into capillary beds. Those capillary beds have little holes in them that allow for certain things to leak out to feed the tissues. These things include oxygen and nutrients. Now, the oxygen and nutrients are dissolved 
in the fluid of the blood that we call the plasma. So at the capillary bed, this fluid will leak out on this arterial end of the capillary bed, carrying the oxygen and nutrients, and it will deliver this oxygen and nutrients to the tissues. Once the tissues have used it, the tissues produce byproducts like carbon dioxide and waste, which then needs to be pulled back into the blood vessel. And the only place it can do it is the capillary because it's got the holes in it, but it pulls it back into the venous end of the capillary bed. Now, the thing is it needs to pull it back with the water because it's all dissolved in the water. So once it pulls it back in, it needs to then deliver it back to the, through veins, through venules and veins back to the right-hand side of the heart. And then just the whole thing keeps going around and around. But the question we need to ask ourselves is one, what allows for the fluid to be pushed out of the capillary bed at the arterial end, and two, what allows for the fluid to be reclaimed or pulled back in at the venous end. And this is where we need to introduce a couple of really, really important points when it comes to edema, because changes to these particular things will or can result in edema. So first thing is, because this blood is coming from the left-hand side of the heart, it's under a particular pressure. When the heart contracts left-hand side, the maximum pressure it produces is around about 120 millimetres of mercury. With a, with a normal blood pressure. With a normal blood pressure, that's right. With mats, 250. So this 120 millimetres of mercury, the mean arterial pressure, which I recommend you watch our blood pressure or listen to our blood pressure episode, the mean arterial pressure is around about 90 But the point I'm trying to make here is as the pressure moves from the left-hand side of the heart to the capillary beds, once it's reached the capillary beds, the pressure has dropped. And that makes sense because if you look at a hose and you have a whole bunch of branches coming off the hose- How many hoses are we talking here? Thousands. (laughs) Uh, In terms of distance. Oh, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of kilometers. Yeah, so it's- it's Got a long way to go, so it's going to lose pressure as it's moving down to smaller and smaller pipes. That's right. And by the time it reaches the capillary beds to feed the tissues, the pressure is about 35 millimetres of mercury. So effectively, this is the outward pushing force, right? Because pressure is the force that the blood places on the walls of the vessels. But if you're in a vessel that's got holes, well, it's going to be the pushing force to push stuff out of those holes. Yep. So that's 35 millimetres of mercury. Now, these holes aren't super big. They only let certain things out. From memory, Matt, do you know what it lets out and what it can't let out? Um, basically, everything dissolved in the plasma should come out barring the plasma proteins. Yeah, and cells. Yeah. That's right. So that means uh, the, the gases, yep. the nutrients, and also the ions. So the charged atoms or elements, which, you know, have negative and positive charges. And we spoke earlier that they exert a pulling force on water. Yep. All right. So we've got 35 millimetres of mercury pushing out, carrying the oxygen, nutrients, ions and so forth. But what Matt highlighted is something is staying inside the capillary bed. And that something is, yes, cells, but more importantly, proteins. Yeah. And proteins, and as because we know- they're, Because they're in the plasma, we call them plasma proteins. How's oh, that? Oh, tricky. Very good. Proteins have a negative charge. That's important because that means they will exert a pulling force on water. So effectively, there's an so they're inward- like, they're like little sponges. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it. There's an inward pulling force on the water. So there's actually two opposing forces. The force of the water being pushed out- Can we- 
which we can define right now as? Oh, I just wanted to change. Maybe at this point in time, we can change the term from blood pressure now to another forced name. Yep. Which is? Um, well, the definition of the name means water stopping force and water being hydro stopping meaning static. So now we're going to use the term hydrostatic force. Yes. And, and that might sound confusing because water's moving, right? And water's being pushed out. The reason why it's called hydrostatic is how much force is required to stop that water from moving out. And it's 35 millimeters of mercury. But that tells you that's the force of the water actually moving out. So, so at the arterial end, so as we, as we just come in to the capillary through the arterial door. The hyd- no door, by the way. Well, there's a sphincter. Well, <laughs> which, we'll, which, we'll, which we'll get to. Because right. this is an important point, but I'm not going to outline it here. But it's <laughs> right now. But, it, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's Why I bring it up? Oh, look, I just don't want to do it right at this second. Okay, then shut up. Okay. So <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> it comes into the capillary bed. And the, the for- blood. Yep, the blood. Yep, yep, yep. And the force that you're st- seeing now in the capillary against the capillary bed wall is a 35 millimeter of mercury pressure, which yes. we call a hydrostatic force. Yes. If you want to be more accurate, it's the capillary hydrostatic pressure. Okay, perfect. And that's 35 millimeters of mercury. Now, simultaneously, because proteins aren't leaving the capillary, they're staying inside and they they have a negative charge, they've got a pulling force trying to pull fluid in the opposing direction. So back into the capillary. And this pulling force is 25 millimeters of mercury. Okay. And this is called the oncotic pressure. So when you hear the term oncotic, think protein. So this is what we call okay. the capillary, because it's in the capillary, oncotic pressure. So there could be also another term used here, right? Yes, yes, yes. So there could also be a colloid osmotic pressure. Yes. Sorry. Colloid is referring to protein. Uh, The oncotic is referring to osmotic. Yeah. Right. So the pulling force. So I do apologize. So yes, it could be, you can call it the capillary osmotic pressure, or you can call it the capillary oncotic pressure, which is the protein pressure. Regardless, it's an inward pulling. So the point is at the arterial end, 35 millimeters of mercury pushing out, 25 millimeters of mercury pulling in. Who wins this tug of war? At this point in time, the hydrostatic wins the battle. By how many millimetres? By 10. Okay. So the net force is going out and that's why the fluid goes out with the oxygen and nutrients at the arterial end. All right. As we move along and we get to the venous end, things slightly change. Interestingly, the 
hydrostatic pressure, the outward pushing force, drops from 35 down to around about- 15. Is it? Yeah. 15. Yeah. All right. We'll just call it 15. All right. So now we've got an outward push of 15 millimetres of mercury. Now the question is, why does it drop? Who asked that question? I did. Okay. (laughs) A couple of reasons. One reason that I, but Matt corrected me earlier, so I'm very interested to hear Matt say this. I thought it was because, you know, if you were to get a hose and connect it to the tap and turn it on and you were to put every, let's say, every 50 centimetres, you were to prick a hole in the hose. Look, as I said before. Oh, here we go. You can actually buy these hoses um, from your hardware store that already has holes in it to do the watering. You don't have to put holes in there. Look, I like to experiment. (laughs) It's called an experiment, Matt. This guy. So um, he just wants to do ads for Bunnings. Uh, So (laughs) Bunnings, Matt. So prick a hole every 50 centimetres down your hose, turn the hose on, water's going to squirt out these holes. What you're going to find is that the hole closest to the tap, the water's going to squirt out at the highest pressure and at the end it's going to be the lowest pressure. My thought was because there's fluid being lost, right? Yeah. And that's what I thought the analogy was here because fluid's being lost at the capillary, the hydrostatic pressure drops at the venous end. But you corrected me. Well, that would work if – all our blood vessels were arteries. Good point. Okay, but they're yeah. not because as we move to the venual end, we start to, to, to change the vessel type and we start to develop into veins and veins don't have the same, what's the term? Diameter. But also capac- capacitance. Well, they've yeah. got a greater capacitance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what what happens, like the veins have got a more of a, a blood volume storing capability, whereas the arteries Very compliant. are more- Pumping ability. Yeah. Okay. So as you move down the capillary, uh, it turns into more like a venule. And so the diameter actually gets bigger. And as we've spoke about in the podcast for blood pressure, we know that the diameter of the vessel has a very strong- Inversely proportional to the pressure. To, to the pressure. And so, so bigger as the, it gets pressure. bigger and bigger, it's going to drop the pressure. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So now we've gone from 35 millimeters of mercury to 15. Yep. Now the inward pulling force, which we call the oncotic or osmotic pressure. Just the little sponges. Yeah. It remains the same. Yeah. Right? There's nothing, they haven't changed anything. No, proteins are still there. They've hung around. Yeah. They just move from the arterial end to the venous end. Yeah. And the inward pulling force is still 25, which now means that where's the tug of war win? Who wins? In, into the blood yeah. vessel. Five millimetres of mercury pulling back in. Ten. Well, it goes from 15, 15 to, to 25. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry, 10, 10. So it's an inward of 10, yeah. right? And before it was an out of yeah. 10. So this inward pulling force is pulling water back in, reclaiming water that was lost to the interstitium, but also pulling in carbon dioxide and waste. Yeah. Great system. It is a great system, but it's not perfect. So- what we find is that a little bit of fluid actually doesn't get reclaimed and stays in the interstitium. And in actual fact- Lucky. It's lucky because it, it might be a little bit in any one moment or at any particular capillary bed, but over the span of a day, because tissues are constantly being fed, this fluid- And your shag pile's getting filled up. That's right. It, <laughs> it would build up so much over a day- that your entire blood volume would be lost to the interstitium, even with this inward pulling force that's happening. So the reclamation of this residual fluid in the interstitium, how does that get, how does that actually get reclaimed so that we don't lose all our blood volume to the interstitium? We've got a back door, Michael. We've got a back door. All right. But we're talking (laughs) about capillary exchange. Gastrointestinal tract is a couple of weeks time. Lymphatic, the lymphatic system. 
That reclaims the lost fluid. Yeah. Lost fluid, but also lost proteins. Oh, good. Because I know you spoke about that the plasma proteins will remain. Yes. But mate. some will leak out. And in certain conditions, some will yeah. leak out as so well. So some will leave, but it's so kind of minuscule, it doesn't make a huge difference. Right. And and the lymph the lymph will just reclaim those proteins and um, bring it back into the venous Supply. That's what I was anyway. going to ask. Okay, so the lymphatic system doesn't keep it to itself. It throws no, it back. No. So these are like, um, what are those pipes that you get to help with? You like, love Bunnings, don't you? Well, we, we're in this theme. Right. Um, so you know those black pipes with holes in it that help to reclaim fluid, or not fluid, water? Oh, like, un- kind of like under the soil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Anyway, like, Why would I know the name of that? Yeah, because <laughs> you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Let's just define. Let's just, let's just say lymphatics. So it just pu- it just pulls that fluid in and gives it back to the heart. Yeah. So they've got lymphatics got big holes in it, so they can actually um, suck up the water pretty easily. And then what happens is these vessels get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually they um, go into the thoracic duct and eventually into the subclavian thoracic vein. Thoracic duct was that thoracic a- thoracic duct. Oh, Not okay. duck. Gotcha. Sorry, I thought you said Jurassic Duck, no, and I thoracic. thought that was going to be a new Steven Spielberg uh, uh, film. <laughs> next next summer, we've got the lymphatic system. Welcome, Jurassic Duck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sounds like a cow. Okay, so um, okay, now a couple of points. So we've now spoken about capillary exchange. That's what this is called. If you ever have a test on capillary exchange, really important. But we highlighted four really important things here that if you alter them in any particular direction or in a particular direction, edema can occur. So first was the hydrostatic pressure, the outward pushing force. The second was the oncotic pressure. The sucking force. The inward pulling force, I like to say. Three is the capillary membrane itself, right? Because that determines whether proteins stay in or don't stay in. Okay. And then the fourth is the lymphatic system for reclamation of the lost fluid. So can I add one more or am I just going to complicate it? No, no, go for it. Well, there's also- Oh, actually, no, I know what it is. Let's talk about that at the end. Okay. If that's okay. All right. Right. So- Can I- But I'm going to add- You're going to say it anyway. No, no, I'm not going to say that thing. But I'm going to I'm going to add one point with the hydrostatic because this is, this is why I spoke about that door before you get into the capillary. Okay. Oh, so this is now the time to talk about yeah, the Yeah, this is a very important time. All right. All right. Matt's sphincter, everyone. So when we have arterioles going into a capillary bed, before it goes into the capillary bed, we have um, sphincters, like smooth muscle sphincters that control the diameter, right? What, what are the they arterioles. called? Yeah, all the arterioles. What yeah. are they called? Like Smooth a muscle. pre-capillary sphincter. Yeah. 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 So that's, they're heavily regulated by our nervous system, like the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. that regulates blood flow into, into a tissue. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're also regulated by how much uh, force of blood pressure there is. Because the reason why I'm saying this is you spoke about a normal blood pressure of 120, Okay, and by the time it gets down to a capillary bed, now it's 35 hydrostatic, which is all well and good. Yeah. But people might go, well, what happens if you get a, you know, you go exercise, yeah. right, and your blood pressure will go up to 180. Very true. Right? So why why don't we all get edema then, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this pre-capillary sphincter, will, because it's getting stretched with a high blood pressure, it actually constricts. So it will actually become smaller, which then still keeps the hydrostatic pressure in the capillary bed at 35. Beautiful. It doesn't increase to 60, let's say, which then would cause us to get edema pretty quickly. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So that's important well, that that's- the arterial end 
actually has a sphincter controlling the pressure coming into it, but the venous end leaving doesn't really have the same corresponding sphincter. So it doesn't have the same ability of regulating kind of what's going out mm. as the pressure. Does that make sense? Yeah, Which absolutely. becomes very important with all the pathological states we're going to talk about, at least in the context of hydrostatic pressure. Well, it leads us nicely into the first uh, cause of interstitial edema, okay. which is alterations of the hydrostatic pressure. Yep. So uh, I think everyone listening or, yeah, everyone be meaning the one person that is listening. Um, <laughs> actually, you know, we get, we get a lot of listens. I mean, we're top three medical podcast in many countries. Just so the listener knows uh, that we get m- many tens upon, well, hundreds of thousands of downloads um, every month. So we're pretty, pretty uh, useful, I think, to people. Just saying that, just a bit of top noting here. Um, so the hydrostatic pressure, I think it's unsurprising that if you were to increase this, the, the higher we increase this, the more outward pushing force, the more the fluid's going to accumulate in the interstitium yep. relative yep. to the inward pulling force, yep. right? Yep. Which Matt alluded to. And Matt said, you know, if you do exercise, that hydrostatic pressure goes up. Why doesn't, why don't we, we get, get edema. edema through exercise? But he highlighted nicely with his sphincters as always, using sphincters to, to answer every question. All right. So other things that actually can increase this hydrostatic pressure. Um, do you want to go through one by one? Because I've got a couple of things. You, you start. Okay. Uh, first one would just be hypertension. So if somebody has prolonged, which is what hypertension is. So remember, you might get an increased pressure uh, from exercise, but it's not hypertension because it's not prolonged. So if you have prolonged hypertension, those arterioles aren't going to be able to work well enough over a long period of time. So they change the pressure in the capillary bed, which then overcomes the inward pulling force on the venous end and uh, the fluid accumulates in the interstitium. So hypertension can be one. Another one can be heart failure. So if you think about it, if the right-hand side of the heart fails as a pump, it's not so the right ventricle. The right ventricle. Yep. It's not ejecting the blood that's coming in to the pulmonary circuit. That's right, and the blood that's coming in is coming from where? The right atrium. Uh, yes, which is coming from? Well, some of it. Well, the two big pipes that are delivering it to the right atrium is the superior vena cava, which is draining your arms and your head, and the inferior vena cava, which is draining your trunk and legs. Perfect. So, if your right atrium, uh, sorry, your right ventricle doesn't work as a pump to contract, the fluid builds up into the right atrium, yep. builds up into the venous system of the body and increases the hydrostatic pressure at the venous end. At the venous end. Yep. Which then overcomes the inward pulling force. So it might go from 15 millimetres of mercury, which we stated was the hydrostatic pressure at the venous end, and it might bust it back up to 25, which means it overcomes, or 35, It might so it overcomes the inward pulling force. So that's right side heart failure resulting in edema in your peripheries, yeah. so in your legs and arms, for example. But if your left-hand side of the heart fails, what's going What's what's going into the left-hand side of the heart? You mean the left, the left ventricle? Uh, yes. Okay, so blood will enter the left ventricle from the left atrium, yep. and all the blood that's come to the left atrium is coming from the lungs. Exactly. So then if your left ventricle no longer works as a pump, so left side heart failure, Backs up into the left atrium and then backs up into the? Into the pulmonary veins. And then the <clears throat> hydrostatic pressure increases in the pulmonary veins. Yeah. And you get? Well, you, 
You get edema, but in your interstitium of your lungs. Exactly. So both are edema, right? Yeah. Because it's just fluid accumulating at tissues. Yeah. One in your periphery because of right side heart failure, but one in the lungs because of left side heart failure. Yeah. And so these are much- Easy peasy. Well, at least the, the, the former- Easy the, peasy. The former is more of a generalized form of edema because it's going to result in a lot of um, tissues or regions of the body- getting that increase in hydrostatic yeah. pressure and therefore potentially getting edema. Yeah. But we could look at, with this same hydrostatic force, we could look at some cases where it's more localised. Okay. Okay. So if you were to have a thrombus within your veins, and one of the most common is a deep vein thrombosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a clot that has developed within the deep veins of your leg. And that's going to do, it's going to put a roadblock and then everything. At the back end. Yeah. So, so things back up. So line. everything that's below that clot is going to back, 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 back into the capillary bed. And you're going to get the same issue where you yeah. get the hydrostatic, but it's going to be more localized to your lower limb. So yeah. you're going to get edema associated with that. So that's DVT. That's a DVT. Or even a compression yep. of your, your veins, right? So even if you were to have um, garments or... I don't know, something where you wear it too tightly. Yeah. It can lead to edema just by not enough pressure being overcome that. Let that be a lesson to you and your underpants, man. <laughs> um, anything else? Well, for hydrostatic, that's pretty much there's most an, of it. There, there could be another one which um, you could um, l- – well, it's also kind of localized, but if you were to have a problem, but it's a, a different kind of venous system. So if you were what looking, well, if you were looking at the portal venous system, yeah, the portal venous system. So this is yeah. all the fluid, sorry, all the blood that drains your gastrointestinal tract. Yep. Okay. Where does that go before it's allowed to go back into the systemic venous system? Liver. Liver. So if you were to have something wrong with the liver, oh, yeah. let's say like a cirrhosis or something that restricts the blood flow through it, you're going to get a hydrostatic increase within In the, portal the, the portal system. So where would that leak out into? Well, that would leak out through the portal veins, but it will go into a cavity rather than directly a tissue. Oh, which is? Well, it's going to be your peritoneal cavity. So well, your, your abdominal ab- cavity. Yeah. So this then leads to another interesting term, which sometimes you might hear in edema, is called third spacing. Uh, I've never heard of it. You've never heard of it? No. Okay. Explain. All right. So well, I have, but I'll explain. Okay. <laughs> so I think this this is right. Oh, For- okay. <laughs> so everyone uh, take pens and papers out. Matt thinks this is right. <laughs> And take this with a grain of salt. Right. Which, well, which, don't. That'll cause edema. That's right. That'll right. <laughs> cause edema. So my understanding is first space, um, first spacing is just the normal regulation of fluid within the spaces that we spoke about All right. at the start of the podcast. Intracellular, intracellular. Yep, yep. Yep. So that's okay. normal. Now, when you get second spacing, that just means fluid accumulating in the interstitium. Okay. okay. But even though you get an edema in this space, you still have the capacity to reclaim it. Okay. okay? Like if, Through the if, lymphatics. Yeah. Or if you just overcome the issue, you can get it back into the, you know, the, the vessel. Third spacing kind of means you've now put the edema in an area that's very hard to reclaim. All right. Does that make sense? So like another compartment. Yes. So that might be the peritoneum. Correct. Or the pericardial sac. Yes. Or the cranial vault. Or the pleura. Or the yep. pleura. Yep. 
That's right. right. That's or right. the synovial joints, maybe. 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 So interesting. But so that's called third spacing. Third spacing. Okay. So in this case, what we've got, what we're seeing is there's a problem with the liver. Let's say like a cirrhosis. The liver alone, man. Okay. Liver alone. So the liver is becoming scarred up from whatever's caused it over time. Maybe alcoholism. Yeah. And the liver is it's restricting the flow through it, and particularly the th- the flow we're talking about is the portal venous flow. Now, because it's restricting it, the portal pressure starts to go up, the hydrostatic pressure is increasing, which forces plasma out of the portal veins and that starts to accumulate in a cavity rather than a tissue. Yeah. And that starts to spill spill into the abdomen. Not the abdomen as in like your guts, but in the space between. Yeah. And so a person could have litres of Up to fluid. 20 litres actually. That's crazy. And what's it called? Ascites. That's right. Yeah. Now there's another cause of ascites, but we'll get to that when we get to that mechanism. Correct. Oh, good. But, I'm glad. I was just going to interrupt you before that's that. That's most of hydrostatic well, pressure causes. All those ones except your hypertension. Yeah. No, all of those ones we just mentioned are hydrostatic, mm. but most of them are impacted by the venous return hydrostatic pressure. Yes. The only one that you said could be the exception to the rule, as in like the hydrostatic, a huge hydrostatic increase. Left side heart failure. No, no. Is um, the hypertension, the chronic hypertension. Oh. Yeah. Also left side heart failure. No, no, that's, that's still in the venous side of things. So that's still coming backwards. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm yes, talking yes, about yes, the yes, front no, end no. of the capillary. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so absolutely right. The only other example that I, I came across that could cause edema from the arterial end is excessive heat. So particularly localized heat. So let's say- Because of vasodilation? Yeah. Oh. It's just overwhelming the precapillary sphincter, which- yeah. Causes too much pressure at the front end. You know, instead of thirty-five, let's say it goes up to fifty-five, mm. and that just forces too much fluid out to be able to reclaim back, and you get edema. So let's just say you were to put your, I don't know, le- legs into a hot spa for a number of hours. Yeah. Not only would they go red, but you might come back and they might be a bit swollen right. because of the huge arterial pressure. At, well, the pressure at the arterial end of the capillary bed. Yeah. Does that cool. make sense? Yeah, yeah, that okay. makes sense. So these are hydrostatic causes for interstitial edema. Yep. Next is going to be oncotic causes or things that will increase the oncotic pressure or pulling pressure. Or, or not, pressure. not increase it, decrease it, right? You're losing the pressure. You're, uh, you're losing the sucking pressure. Okay, I, I apologize. What I meant to say was uh, reducing the pulling pressure inside the capillary. Yeah. But yeah. You, so, you're totally right. So that's me rewinding. So uh, oncotic pressure, things that change that. So originally we stated that the proteins should be remaining inside the capillary bed, but they may not. So those proteins, for example, one – Maybe they're just not getting produced. So where are they produced normally? Mostly in the liver. Well, what are the three proteins that we're talking about? Well, albumin would be- Number one. Number one. So firstly, what's the plasma protein concentration in your blood? I don't know. What is it? So it's about- So this is the total plasma protein concentration. Yeah. In a litre of blood is about 60 to 80 grams of plasma protein. All right. Now, if you were to, to look at that amount, which is the most abundant- Albumin. Albumin. So about 30 to 50 grams per liter is albumin. Right. Number two? Uh, globulins. Globulins. Yeah. Yep. So about one and a half to 2.5 or 15 to 25 grams per liter yeah. is globulins. I don't and know then, if I can think of a third one. And the last one, it's the clotting, clotting one. 
Oh, clotting proteins. The fib- fibrinogen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So those three are the big ones that will generate the oncotic pulling force into a capillary. Okay. So yeah. to think about what's – so at the end of the day, we need to think about what's going to lead to more fluid leaving the vessel and going into the interstitium. And so you need if you decrease the concentration of these proteins yep. in the vascular supply – there's the inward pulling force reduces right. and things go out. Correct. Um, well, the that, liver yeah. predominantly, pro- well, the liver produces albumin, most globulins, and fibrinogen. Yeah. So damage to the liver of some yeah. degree would probably be the primary cause of this. Correct. Hepatic disease. Yeah. So basically, any liver dysfunction that's going to impact the metabolism of these proteins would okay. impact it. So again, a big one in cirrhosis. Yeah. And so therefore, an interesting point here is, remember what we spoke about. This, before, yeah, liver cirrhosis. cirrhosis can cause hydrostatic, mm. but here you can see now liver cirrhosis can also cause an oncotic issue as well. So my thoughts would be that liver disease, a significant sign or symptom is going to be edema. Yeah, in the... Acides. Yeah, acides, yeah. Acides. Yeah. Um, another reason why you may not have enough proteins is just malnutrition or even malabsorption. Yep. So maybe you're not even getting uh, proteins or the components required to make these p- proteins from your diet. Yeah, and I think this is – remember the oh, – this is, goes back to – I just remember these visions when I was a kid. Remember you had visions as a kid Remember the future? Remember when there were all those – real serious droughts in Africa and they showed you the starving children in Africa with with really big bellies. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I think that's that's the side is. That's right. Yeah. So that's a malnourishment because they're not having enough protein in their diet. Yep. So therefore they can't produce those plasma proteins. So therefore they get edema in their belly. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Another thing is uh, renal disease. So peeing them out. Yeah, if you pee out the proteins, so you why, reduce them. So normally blood. when your nephrons filter blood, yeah. it's a bit like what we see at the capillary. Yeah. All the plasma should come out, barring a few of the things that you want to remain in your blood, being the cells and the proteins. Yeah. So the proteins shouldn't cross the glomerulus. Yeah, you shouldn't be peeing out proteins basically. And hence with the urinalysis, when you do a urinalysis stick – it has a protein measurement and it yeah. should be negative. Yes. Or very minimal. Yes, that's right. And so if you had a problem with your filtration membrane, and this is a common one could, would be called nephrotic syndrome, mm. where you've got big holes in there and you're letting proteins through. Yeah, And so exactly. if you're peeing out a lot of proteins- It's not in your blood. But not in your blood, so you can develop- um, an edema case. Yeah, the inward pulling force is gone and so the outward pulling f- pushing force is greater and then the fluid builds up in your interstitium. So that's, uh, pretty, that's pretty straightforward. So yeah. we don't really need to talk anything more, just that's the mechanism of. Yeah. yeah. Um, the third is going to be your capillary integrity. So uh, the endothelium of your capillary. So remember your capillary beds are made up of epithelia called endothelia. They've got pores in them and any damage or change to them may increase the size of do these Do they have holes. pores or do they just have gaps between where they're holding onto their neighbour? <sighs> like it would be transcellular, wouldn't it? Like it doesn't go th- through the cell. Look, this is – I think both occurs. Okay. I, I truly do. But I think it is – between the hand holding. Because when you get endothelial retraction, yes, it exactly. makes bigger it increases holes. Increases right? the hole. So it would have to be that. So capillary integrity. Anything that changes the integrity of your capillaries or increases the size of it the holes. So first of which could be vascular injury. 
you know, yep. which could be due to trauma or surgery. So maybe somebody's had surgery uh, and because the capillaries are damaged in that area, one of the things they develop after the surgery is edema. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, or if they've had an injury to that particular area. Another thing is just inflammation. Yeah. So you uh, you have something that's triggering the release of histamine and other pro-inflammatory chemicals from your cells or tissues, and it results in v- not just vasodilation, increasing the pressure to that area, like you said earlier, but increasing the permeability, permeability of the capillary. So, yeah. so that means where proteins couldn't originally leak out, now they can. Now, in most of those cases, that would be a localized edema as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a good example of a form of edema that's coming from this mechanism being um, an increased capillary permeability that can be generalized. Can you Shock? Well, like when someone has anaphylaxis. Yeah. 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 So that Just would a be- Systemic inflammation. So that would be a response to something exogenous. Mm. Exogenous? <laughs> like a- like a, an antigen that your immune system sees as foreign. Yeah. And you result, the result of that is edema, which they call, usually called angioedema. Mm. And you, this is where you'd see the tongue, the mouth, the eyes swell up. I always remember the Simpsons episode where. Pufferfish or something? No, not that one. It's where I think Bart's allergic to shrimp and Lisa's allergic to peanuts. And so. Bart puts a peanut on the end of a stick and Lisa puts a shrimp on the end of a stick and they chase after each other and wherever they touch on the person sort of like swells up. Um, pretty horrible, but but it was funny. Um, one of the four cardinal signs of inflammation is swelling. Edema, yeah. Right? So yeah, localized swelling being the edema. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's pretty much it for vascular integrity, right? Yep. Uh, and then the last one is the lymphatic system. Almost the last one, but let's go with the last. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Last um, one. That's with right, because you alluded to earlier that yeah. you had a fifth one you wanted to talk about. Uh, so the last one is going to be that of the lymphatic system. So remember, this is where the lost fluid, like the lost boys, are going to be reclaimed. Like the movie Lost. Yeah. Um, did, you know, I haven't watched that in maybe 25 years. Lost? No, not Lost, the TV series. Okay. Lost Boys. Okay. You've seen Lost Boys? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Kiefer Sutherland? No. Sorry. Okay. Uh, can can not I- embarrassing for you at all. Yeah. Can I just say something here before we continue on? Um, depends what it is. Well, the lymphatics- Just whisper it to me. The, the <laughs> lymphatics, um, before we can get edema through all these cases we've just mentioned- Yes. It's important to note that the, lim- the lymph that's reclaiming this fluid in your interstitium- has the capacity to increase its efficiency by five to tenfold. Really? Yeah. So, so lymph is dynamic. Yes, that's right. I didn't know that. So even if you were to have, let's say, an edema state, there is a possibility that your lymph can take on the extra slack and reclaim it without you knowing that you have edema. So Interesting. all these things that we mentioned, whether it's a hydrostatic force issue or an osmotic issue or an inflammation or capillary issue, the lymphatics would try to compensate. And oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, so you mean that the lymphatic system is yeah, simply compensating? Yeah, trying to suck up that fluid that's there to reclaim it. So you may have problems with all the things that we stated earlier, but you may not be manifesting with yeah, edema. That's right. At least in it's the only early on. When you see edema clinically, it's when the, the lymph has kind of been overwhelmed gotcha. and, the, tissue, and the tissue is now remained with fluid. 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So it's that's an interesting. Oh, so it lymph's an, an important part of this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So when we so therefore when we when we talk about the lymphatic issue, this would be mostly an obstruction. So yeah. a problem Tumor. with a problem with it bringing the fluid out of the tissue and putting it back into that Jurassic duct. (laughs) Thoracic duct. The thoracic duct, not Jurassic duct. Uh, Okay, so what- Tumor, lymphedema? Yeah, so you could have something blocking the duct, so that could be like a cancer. Or remember the, well, not not so much the duct, but the lymph vessels. Because remember, one of the best ways, I wouldn't say the best ways, one of the most- um, common ways that cancer spreads what are the is best ways. Well, best for cancer. A gotcha, okay. Because cancer will kind of get thrown into the extracellular space, right? Like cancer, yeah, yeah, once yeah. it develops, will start growing and then it can break off. And the most logical way for it to move somewhere else is, is through the lymphatics. And so, simply because it just gets reclaimed through right. this process. So, a, a classic, we'll just do a, a classic case example is if you were to develop breast cancer yep. and it would move out of its primary location, it would be kind of sucked up in the lymphatic fluid and it would be taken back via the lymphatic vessels to its nearest lymph node nodes. And for breast cancer, that's under the armpit. Yes. So that's the auxiliary nodes. And those nodes are basically like cotton wool. So the any cell, it's, it, they're there to pick up things like that and filter it out. For so a reason, usually for, well, most notably for an immune reason. It wants to yeah. it, it wants to check all that fluid before it puts it into the venous system to make right. sure there's no bacterial or things in it that shouldn't be. Now, what could happen is the cancer can actually recolonize the lymph node mm. and start growing in the node, okay? And what that would do is restrict the flow through the node and so everything downstream to that would start to increase in pressure. And then you're getting you're negating that um, effect of the lymph drainage. So therefore the tissue starts to swell up. And then if you think about it, um, when the cancer goes to be resected from the breast tissue, they may take a couple of lymph nodes Well, they would well, have to, right? yeah. Uh, and when you take away the lymph nodes and the lymphatic tissue, you now also don't have an error for reclamation of the fluid. So edema can be the result of a mastectomy or even simply just removing the yeah. cancerous or potentially cancerous yep. tissue. And that's, yeah. So one, blockage of lymphatic system. Two, removal of the lymphatic yep. system. And they're the major ways, right? Well, there's there's one other- but big you said w- there's number five. No, just one thing with the lymphatics. Oh, okay. Um, there is, what well, even post-radiation. So if you were to radiate the, the nodes, then that would also cause an issue. Uh, the other big one would be a uh, parasite infection into the lymph nodes, and that results in lymphedema and- that would actually cause a condition called elephantitis. Elephantitis. Yeah. So that's not really that common within. So elephantitis f- is edema. Yeah. And that's because there's a parasite that has um, infested, if that's the right word, colonized the lymphatics, Infected? which then has caused it to grow and then restrict the flow through it. And But that's going to be a much grosser. And so a lot more body parts would become swollen as a result. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So hydrostatic pressure changes, oncotic pressure changes, capillary integrity issues, and lymphatic system changes. What was this fifth one you were talking about? Well, the fifth, the fifth one, um, just to add a little bit more detail to the capillary dynamics that we mentioned earlier, this is just to complete the picture. 
Within the interstitium, there's also two other forces. There's a force pushing back into the blood vessel. Okay, so you know that hydrostatic tr- force that's trying to push the fluid out of the blood vessel? Yeah. There's a force on the other side trying to force fluid back in. That's not the onchotic pressure? That's not the onchotic. Because gotcha. the onchotic is a sucking pressure. Yeah. Okay, or a pulling pressure. So there's another pressure on the other side that is hydrostatic and that is a interstitial hydrostatic force, mm. okay, which is much lower than the capillary hydrostatic pressure. I don't even know what it would okay. be. The other force in there, because there is things dissolved in the interstitium, is there is also an osmotic pressure in yeah, the interstitial. Ions there, right? Yeah, that's right. And they're going to also suck things into it. Yeah. And so one final point that I'll just make going back to lymphatics, the other function of the lymphatics is not only to re- reclaim fluid, but it's also to reclaim um, proteins that have leaked out of the blood vessel. Yes. If you didn't have a lymphatic drainage, that means the proteins would start to accumulate in the tissue. Mm. And so if these plasma proteins slowly over time, let's say months, years, start accumulated in the tissue, they're going to start to generate their own sucking force. Yeah. And that therefore fluid will remain there. And this is actually the reason why you get a non-pitting edema. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you were to throw, and this is the final point, I promise, because okay. I know so you're getting you're disappointed. Fourth and fifth final point. <laughs> if you were to increase the osmolarity in the interstitium, mm-hmm. that would also cause edema. Yes. Okay. And so what could cause that? Well, if you had a state- Do you want me to answer it? No? Okay. Oh, you answer it. No, no, no. Go on, go on, go on. So, well, my thought would be, um, you know, people need to realize that whatever you ingest- uh, will go from your digestive tract into your bloodstream, right? And so it goes from the bloodstream then into the interstitium because both the plasma, your bloodstream or your intravascular compartment, depending on how you want to talk about it, both that area and your interstitium are both extracellular fluid like we stated, which means they're freely interchangeable. Yeah, that's they're right. exchangeable, not for proteins and cells, but for everything else basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you were to ingest a high amount of Salt, yes, for that's, example. That's, that's the best example. It will go into your bloodstream and then go into your interstitial area and that's going to carry fluid with it. Because remember, the, the thirds that we spoke about at the start, oh, yeah, yeah. two thirds will go into the interstitial space compared to the, the one third, which is your intravascular space. Yeah. So that means if you were to have a big bag of salty chips, yeah. two thirds of it goes into the interstitium mm. relative to the one third in your intravascular. Which will pull water. Which will pull it. water into it. And yeah. so any anything that will cause sodium retention in your interstitium will also cause edema. Okay, gotcha. And so some examples would be that, a high salt diet. Mm. Okay. Well, usually your kidney should deal with it, but if your kidneys can't, so you've got some, which I think you spoke about in the blood pressure one, right? Where people are salt insensitive or something. That's right. They just don't have the ability. So you're salt sensitive. Yeah. So more salt will remain because the kidney can't get rid of it. Anything that would bump up the RAS system because you're oh, yeah, holding on an or anything that can cause aldosterone to be overactive. Yeah. That, yeah. Could do, that could do it. Or I guess one of the most common would be a form of chronic kidney disease where you've got a, a low GFR and therefore glomerular filtration rate. Yeah. So that means your kidneys aren't getting rid of that salt. It's remaining in your extracellular fluid concurrent to that. The kidneys to, to a degree try to compensate by throwing more renin in Yeah, because they just think you've got a blood pressure issue Yeah, and then you 
double that yeah. and you get fluid, goes fluid, up. fluid retention. And that's and part of the reason it. why a treatment for chronic kidney disease is going to be fluid monitoring yeah. or restricting fluid intake. And what about diuretics? With diuretics, yeah. I guess it depends on, on how the, the fluid is um, accumulating. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Is that it? Is that all of it? Is that edema? Have we done edema? Yeah, that's it. Wow. That's pretty good. I think we covered a lot. Um, you know, if everyone rushes to the first 15 minutes. Um, I think we had to introduce important points. That's true. That's true. You know what I always forget to do at the beginning is just talk Thank about- Thank me. Uh, no, uh, I, I don't even do that at the end. But I think we should talk about the fact that people can contact us, getting some emails, people asking us about topics. Thank you. Much appreciated. Adding them to the list. We'll do we we'll do already. one which you mentioned is the three germal layers, of, which is embryology, yeah, which is so, a wonderful topic. So, so for, uh, we'll for get the, to that. For the person who uh, recommended us doing the three uh, germal layers, um, thank you. Uh, I'm Anything to make Matt do more embryology is really exciting for me. Yay. Um, no, it's a great topic. Very good. We uh, The whole body's made from these layers. Three so, layers. So we need to talk about it. Uh, but there's heaps. So send us an email. Tell us some topics. Don't make them too niche. Uh, I know that people are doing assignments and they want us to cover the topic of their assignment, and that's fine. But if your assignment is so specific and niche that no one else wants to listen to it, we probably won't make it. But in saying that, Send us an email. Uh, if you like what we do, give us five stars. If you don't like what we do, just move on. Uh, don't, five don't, out of five stars. Five out of five stars. Please don't give us one. Uh, leave a comment. We're getting some really nice comments lately on our reviews. That's really nice. Uh, and uh, apart from that, uh, we love all of you and you can contact us. Keep your salt levels down. Yes. Because uh, you may develop edema. Do some exercise. Eat well. Sleep well. Uh, love your family. And um, look after yourself. See you next time, Michael. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.